few years ago, for those of you who don't know, my wife and I spent a year in Sweden in the midst of uh, uh, adjusting to the culture and the, the dark winter. I was in the throes of, of language learning and I needed to read a, a book, really. You know, after studying Swedish for multiple hours during the day, getting home and just trying to um, occupy my mind a little bit, I, I needed to read a book. But, you know, my mind was mush after a day of learning Swedish, a new language. And I usually would read uh, theological books or, or, or Christian life or devotional books, but I, I couldn't actually handle that. My mind just couldn't do it. And so I chose a biography. And I sat down and spent uh, a number of weeks reading through a biography. And I chose a book about Steve Jobs. You know, it was a fascinating book, to say the least, but at least allowed me to, to kind of pull out of what I was doing and, and uh, to read about someone else. And I've always enjoyed reading biographies and autobiographies about people, uh, to learn about people and how they got started in life and, and uh, what they accomplished and how they responded to living in this world. It's always intrigued me. You know, it was fascinating to me what each person and how they respond. And so I learned something by reading that book. I learned that um, I would have never wanted to work for Steve Jobs. He did a lot of things in the technology world that are amazing, but with humans, he stunk. Do you like to read stories of people, you know, to real stories about a person, how they got their start? you find that fascinating at all? You know, how they made their way through hardship, through pain, and through uh, just, just battling different hardships in life and whatever field they're in, you know, to, to attain where they're at. You know, and then it's fascinating sometimes if, that, that an unearthed clip comes up, you know, on YouTube now has a, a video of this person that you look up to and you, you're fascinated, you know, long before they were famous and it shows them as a real person. Sometimes it seems that, that people are, that seem to be too famous so that we, we, we think it's impossible that they were actually just like us, that they were normal at one point. Um, some people, I'm sure, read biographies to find out the secret. You know, they, they, they want to see how they got started and so they can then understand the essence of that person so they could really know what, what, what made them tick, what made them go in that direction and do that so that they maybe could even compare themselves in hopes that they could do the same thing and have the same fortune in life. Well, the book of John here leads us into um, understanding about some people here, John chapter 1, pointing to two individuals and their specific calling from God. He begins by giving us some incredible insight on who John the Baptist is and, and even when Jesus starts his ministry. You know, in the first chapter of John, he's writing about John the Baptist and he's writing about his ministry and then he's writing about Jesus and how they're vitally connected. And then later in the chapter, and we'll get to this next week, he talks about how the disciples came into the picture. Well, this morning, we, we didn't come here to learn about some athlete or chef or some computer designer. We're here to learn about who God is and who God uses. So this morning, I have, I have two points I want to share with you. Two points. The first is the microphone, and the second is the message. The microphone and the message. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1, and follow with me as I read. We're going to read verses 15 through 34. John chapter 1. He says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom he, I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom... You see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. Join me in prayer. Father, we come before your throne this morning, thanking you and praising you for your faithfulness in our lives this week. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done in our lives, even work that we're unaware of for your protection, your watch care, for your supply. Father, you're good. You're good to us. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and to, and to worship you, to worship in song and worship in giving and now worship in the preaching of your word and the reading of your word. Father, we ask that you would be teaching us this morning. Father, I ask that I would be uh, your voice here in this place, speaking your truth. May the focus not be on me this morning. May it be on you, God. Give us understanding as we look at your word. Cause us to change, to be more like your son. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We ended last week in verse 14 of John 1, where John leads his listeners to, to, to understanding who Jesus is. And, he, and he's saying he's not just a man. He's not just a Jew. He, he, he who lived and breathed on this earth with his friends and his family, this is God. He, you know, he was trying to, to, to make sure these, these audience knows this is not just a normal man. The word became flesh, he says, the message of God to the world. He leads us also to an, an understanding that, that he came to bear witness of the Redeemer. Verse 15 clearly states that it is John, not, not the same author of, of the gospel, but John the Baptist, the relative of Jesus. And if you remember in the gospel of Luke, we're, we're informed of John, of a more detailed explanation about John the Baptist. You know, there was a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, righteous followers of God, and yet they're barren. They're unable to have kids, and they were aging fast. And if you remember the story, you know, the time came for Zechariah to go and to serve the Lord and go into the temple and to burn incense. And, and when he enters, there's an angel there and it startles him. 
And the angel then informs Zechariah that he and his wife, even though they're advanced in years, that they would, they would have a son. And he, and he would do and prepare a way for the Lord, and they would name him John. And this is what it says in Luke. Just listen as I read, as the angel of the Lord tells him of who his son would be. He says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is what Zechariah heard long before his son would be born. You know, this, this is a man, but not no ordinary man. He would have a special job and make the way for Jesus. Well, you know the story. We just came out of Christmas, right? Six months into her pregnancy, God sent Gabriel to Mary to inform her that she would also have a child, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And because they're relatives, they would visit, and, and Elizabeth comes and, and sees Mary, or the other way around, actually, and, and, and through that time, their, their understanding of what God was going to do. And, at, and after John the Baptist was born, Zechariah speaks out. If you remember the story, he was mute, right? Because he didn't believe when the angel came and said he struggled to believe. And as they're struggling to understand who the name would be, Zechariah speaks out, writes out actually, his name is John. And at that point, he could speak out. And, and he prophesies as he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verse 76 of Luke there. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I just love the language that he uses in that, in that verse. The sunrise shall visit us from high. You know, the people sitting in darkness, cold, lost, unable to see their way out, confused, struggling, groping about, trying to find their way. And, and in the distance, you can see the sun, the sunrise rising, he's saying. And that's Jesus bringing the light, bringing hope, bringing newness. What beautiful language he uses. And God, God uses that to communicate to us that there's hope. Hope is coming. So as time moves forward and after Jesus enters the world, we know that John has some incredible work to do, what God has called him to do. It's interesting to note that, that he and Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus, would be spending time together as children, that they would essentially grow up in, in some close proximity. And so when, when John says back in the gospel, John, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me in verse 15, he's, he's not talking about birth order here. It's, it's much more significant than that. And I want you to see the difference between these two. When we read about John the Baptist and Jesus, there's a divide between the infinite and the finite, the eternal and the temporary, the, the original light of the sun shining and, and the reflected light of the moon. And John says there in, in chapter one, he says, from his fullness, we have received grace. And Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. He's, he's completed himself. There's nothing lacking. He's, he's stuffed you know, Paul writes for us in Colossians 1, 19, he says, For in him, Jesus, 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus coming, we receive all of God. We get all of him. You know, to soak that in, to remind ourselves, we get all of him. We get God. And John Owen, in his, in his excellent book, The Glory of Christ, he writes this. He says, the revelation made of Christ and the blessed gospel is far more excellent, more glorious, more filled with rays of divine wisdom and goodness than the whole creation and the just comprehension of it, if attainable, can attain or afford. Without this knowledge, the mind of man, however priding itself on other inventions and discoveries, is wrapped up in darkness and confusion. This, therefore, deserves the severest of our thoughts, the best of our meditations, and our utmost diligence in them. For if our future blessedness shall consist in living where he is and beholding of his glory, what better preparation can there be for it than a constant previous contemplation of that glory as revealed in the gospel, that by a view of it, we may be gradually transformed in the same glory. To contemplate the glory of God, to, to dwell in it, to remind ourselves of it. And John says, and from the fullness of him, we have received grace upon grace. And we've received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Every, everything that you've received in your life whether health or money or knowledge or friendships or good times, whatever it is, it's come from God and his grace. And church, I want you to understand, this is true whether you believe it or not. God is the source of our blessings in our life and the life to come. And so John continues there and he says in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, there's nothing wrong with the law. It had been given by God through the ministry of Moses, but it's main purpose for us and for them was to prepare. The, the law reveals man's character. The law reveals man's lost condition. And Galatians 3.24 says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And I love that verse because it gives us further insight, the purpose of the law. He says the law was our guardian. It's, it's interesting. This, this is a position that was filled by someone whose duty was to take care of a child by taking them to school and would watch over them. Kind of like a parent, right? And guardians were very often someone who was very strict, and so the child would look forward to the day when they would be set free from this burden. So even more like a parent, right? You guys remember that as kids? Thinking you had the impression of mom, mom wants me to do homework. I have to clean my room. You know, that, that oppression here. And he's saying that guardian, that, that the overseer of someone there, the law is like that because it causes us to think deeply about who we are. You know, the law is the guardian or, or maybe a better word, a tutor to show us our sins. It, it brings us to Christ. It shows us who we really are so that we can fully understand this grace that's been given to us. And then in verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. You know, John ends this prologue, the beginning of the gospel with a statement in which is the, the launching pad for the rest of the gospel. No one has ever seen God, but they will now. You know, he says, he has made him known. Life as they know it will dramatically change now. They will see God. They will, they will hear the greatest news that the world has ever heard. 
They will see the greatest things that the world has ever seen. They will, they will experience the greatest things that have ever been experienced. The light has come. So John the Baptist is preparing the way. So I want to look at my first point. That was all introduction, right? You guys all still there? All right. My first point is the microphone, okay? The microphone, verses 19 through 28. I, I want to I ask, how many of you have ever traveled internationally? Raise your hand. Okay. We have some well-traveled people. Usually when you land in a foreign country, you, you get off a plane, and, and what's the first thing you go through? Customs, right? Unless you go to the bathroom first. Then you go through customs. And I remember the very first time I went through customs, I was in high school as a junior, and I, and I visited a friend in Germany, and, and, and I remember walking up to that point. I was by myself thinking, oh, dear. Are they going to let me in? You know, do I look suspicious? I know I look weird, but do I look suspicious? You know, as you travel enough internationally, all of those checkpoints kind of blend together. You don't remember, remember much. You remember going through them and standing there. But I, I think the most concerned I've ever been going through customs and possibly being denied access was a few years ago when I traveled from, from Stockholm, Sweden, to Scotland to preach at a church. And, and when I reached the, the, the officer, I handed my, my declaration form and began to answer questions. And usually they ask you just a couple questions, like, you know, where have you been? Where are you going? What's your purpose of your trip? Well, here, they are just grilling me. Where are you from? Do you have parents? Do you have any siblings? Did you go to school? Did you go to college? What was your degree in? You know, and they're going on and on and on and on. Well, are you here in Scotland to look for work? Where are you? You know, and they wanted to know my whole schedule, and it's 20 minutes, and people are passing me by. I'm thinking, I'm not getting in. And they just were on me. They just asked question after question after question. And then when they had their fill, they're like, okay, enjoy your stay. What is wrong? Couldn't quite understand it. You know, it, it hit me, that story, that memory hit me as I read through these verses, 19 through 28, because this is John entering into customs. Okay, he's approaching passport control here. And these teachers, these Pharisees are going to grill him. Okay, they, they have two primary questions they're going to ask John the Baptist. Who are you? And what are you doing? You know, this is past corporate control. And John, the Baptist, has caused a disturbance. That's another thing. If you haven't traveled internationally, just make sure you log this away. Don't do anything weird when you're in line. <laughs> don't, don't do weird things. Just stand there. In fact, they even tell you to turn your cell phone off. You're not supposed to, you're just supposed to stand in line. Well, John... John was weird. He did stuff before that was disturbing to the officials. You know, he, he was not normal from their vantage point. Turn, turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 3, I want you to look at that. Matthew expands a little bit the understanding of who John the Baptist was. And Matthew 3 looking at verse 1. And he says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. 
Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him by the river Jordan, con- confessing their sins. So here's John. He's dressed, well, odd. For, for being in civilization near it, he, you know, he's out of the wilderness, he's getting closer, but he's dressed as though as he, he really needed to not be around other people. He's, he's odd. He, he, he stood out from the rest. But not only that, that's maybe even acceptable. What he was doing, what he was saying, and what he was preaching was causing a lot of issues for the people. In his message later on in the chapter, it says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptisms, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John is not taking a soft approach with the people. He is not just tiptoeing around them. No, he's calling it like he sees it. And John publicly addresses these leaders as deadly snakes in verse 7. He's not fooled by their outward uh, tries for spirituality. He's laying them low because their lives do not display a fruit of repentance. And what he's saying is that those who say that they know Christ, these religious leaders saying that they're they're different, but they, they should then demonstrate a new way of life that corresponds to a new birth that they've experienced. You know, simply put, he's saying repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. And when that happens, there's, there's evidence in your life. And he's, he knows by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no evidence in these leaders' lives. You know, I, I don't think there's any reason to believe that John the Baptist was intending to, to humiliate these Pharisees or, or, or seeking some sort of public demonstration of their true genuineness. But there's, a, but there's a clear indication that true repentance was needed for these spiritual leaders and he was not going to be used by them for their selfish purposes. And so that's, that's the background. That's what John is as he approaches here back, as we transition back to John's gospel in chapter one. As he comes and now he's getting these questions from the leaders, this is what they've seen. This is what they've heard. And so they begin in verse 19. They say, who are you? You know, there's, there's, there's an expectation with that question. Otherwise, John wouldn't have responded with, with his answer in verse 20. He says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. You know, he's, he's quick to give them a reply, and he confessed and did not deny, meaning he openly admitted to them what they were already wanting to know. You know, they, they want to know, are you the Christ? And he says, no. They didn't even ask it. There's an implication there. You know, are you the promised redeemer, the, the promised rescuer, the Messiah? And he says, no, but there is one. You'll meet him soon. So they ask, they could ask another question. What then? Are you Elijah? Which is a, a next natural question to ask in the Jewish mind. I mean, he's, he's dressed in camel hair, eating locusts and honey, and, and he's acting like what Elijah would prophesize to be like coming back from heaven. There's a prophecy in Malachi 3, 1, and 4, 5, where the Jews expected to see Elijah himself return in bodily form just before Christ would come back to establish his earthly kingdom. And in fact, it is known today that Jews leave an empty seat at the table for Elijah when they celebrate Passover. 
And so John's arrival on the scene was, was eerily similar to that of Elijah as he's written about in 2 Kings 1.8 when he describes Elijah this way. It says, he is a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. So they see him, they hear him, they're thinking this has to be Elijah. And John responds, no. And then pushed to the brink, they say, well, then are you the prophet? Another point back to, to a reference by Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15, where, where he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. But what's John's response? Nope, not him either. You've run out of options, guys. You know, at this point, the, the leaders are, are, are growing angry. They're incensed. They're, they're, so they ask in verse 22, they say, well, who are you? Well, that's kind of weak, actually, of what they really meant. You know, in the Greek, literally, they say, tell us who you think you are. That you would come here and you would say this and you're doing this. They want to know. And it, and it proves that they say, they say, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They're annoyed at this point. They've lost their patience. They're questioning John. Who do you think you are? And John responds in a monumental way. You know, he's not seeking his own. He's not wanting to say, yeah, come look at me, look at me. He points away from himself and he points to God. He says, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I think this is incredible. He has underlined that. He says, I am the voice. He says, I'm just a voice. You cannot see a voice. You can only hear it. I find it also interesting in this chapter that Jesus is the word and John's the voice. John, John's just a, a microphone. He's not the content. And so here, here's John the Baptist who has come in fulfillment of hundreds of years of waiting and watching. He came as one chosen from God to prepare and present the Messiah, the promised rescuer. There hasn't been anyone like him before or after him. And in the greatest story ever told, he's probably one of the greatest characters not named Jesus. And John the Baptist from a vantage point is very significant and, and now he's standing at the center stage in the highest moment of history, a man with privilege beyond our clearest understanding. And, and John shares of who he really is. And he says, I am just a voice. Literally, to, to me, he says, I'm a billboard. I'm a sandwich billboard. You guys ever see those? You know what I'm talking about? You know, the human billboards, people get paid to walk around with advertisements on them. I found it was curious. I paused in the midst of my study to, to kind of look that up. I was curious about it. When did that start? You know, it started in the 19th century in London. The practice began because advertising became subject to attacks and competition for wall space was becoming difficult. And so you know what they did? They said, well, you're a person here. We'll strap an advertisement on you. And you can walk around. It's still very popular today. Very popular. You know, in America, though, it's changed a little bit, right? What do we see in America? We see someone standing by the road with an arrow cut out, right? And they're pointing to where they want to go. They're saying, look here. And they do all sorts of crazy things. In fact, again, I was curious. I went down the rabbit trail here. And I went to Wikipedia where you get all your good information. And it says here about this, this, this phenomenon. It says, the modern human directional employees 
uh, uses a number of tricks to attract attention, such as spinning the sign on one finger, throwing it up in the air and spinning it, or even riding the sign like a horse. Another California company, Aero Advertising, conducts boot camps to train, train its employees and has also filed for patent applications for a number of its signature moves. This is big business. You know, these people, what, that's their job, right? I always think it's amazing. They get paid money to stand by the road and have a sign strapped on them. They're a human billboard. They're an advertisement. This is John. John's a human billboard. And he's not announcing cell phone plans or get your taxes prepared here or, you know, this store is going out of business. No, he's, he's announcing the greatest news the world has ever heard. And he's just a voice. And i tell you one of my greatest fears for this church and for my ministry as the primary preaching pastor, my greatest fear is that people would begin to attend to hear me. I'm not the star of the show. I'm not the main event. I am not the content or the focus of what this church is about. It's about Jesus. It has to be about Jesus. Folks, I'm expendable, okay? Hear me in that. I'm not saying I want to leave. I'm just saying, don't look at me. Look to Jesus. That's where the focus should be. It is the person of Jesus that we should come in and worship. That is why we come. That is why we want to hear preaching to, to see and to hear and to know Jesus. It is him that we seek to learn from. He is our hope. And, and so John's right focus, our attention and where our lives should be, he's, he's saying, look to Jesus. And he's saying, folks, I'm just a voice. He's the word. You know, Lord willing, I, I will be able to preach God's word for many years, but I'm just a voice. The message is concerning God, not me. How about you? What kind of publicity are you for Jesus? And don't be fooled, you are publicizing something. Your life is a billboard of something. It may be a billboard about your favorite sports team, it may be about your work, maybe about your school or your kids or your house, but you're publicizing something to people that you come in contact with. And you're saying by your life, this is important. What is it? Is Jesus a part of it? You know, you're a voice for something. Are you a voice for the gospel, for God, for Jesus and his work in this world? You know, all that John the Baptist wanted to be is a voice for Jesus. And he has a grand message, a glorious gospel about a, a great God. And he wants to make much of Jesus and not himself. And one thing I learned as I, as I read and studied through this is that the greatest and most lasting glories in this life are not receiving the fame and the adoration, but funneling all to Jesus. Pointing what we receive and giving back to him. Because it's all about him. You know, John's life and what he's called to is to make a path for the ministry of Jesus. 
And he begins here really by, by having the first call to repentance to the people. You know, he's, he's the bulldozer here. He's, he's knocking away all the debris, clearing the hills, filling the ditches in preparation for the Lord coming. He is setting the table for the meal. And John continues in verse 24. He says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? You know, this is an indictment to him. What gives you the right to do this then, John? What authority do you have? This is what John says in his answer. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. You know, and again, John is, is quick here to shift the focus off himself and onto Jesus. And he simply responds with the, the limitations of his baptizing with water. John MacArthur in his commentary of John writes about John baptizing and significance for the Jewish listeners. And he says this, the Old Testament spoke of spiritual cleansing in connection with the Messiah's coming. The Jews therefore baptized proselytes, converts to Judaism, but John was baptizing Jews. That shocked the religious leaders, he says, who viewed the Jews as already God's kingdom people and not in need of baptism. But those who submitted to John's baptism thereby acknowledged that their sin had placed them outside of God's saving covenant, and they, they were no better than Gentiles. And John then baptized them as a public expression of their repentance. This was causing shockwaves throughout the Jewish community. And how dare John do this? He was rocking their spiritual boat. They're upset. This isn't right. And he's, he's publicly declaring that there is one that is coming after him to bring salvation. You know, again, another mention, this, this verses of John's humble attitude about himself in relation to his Lord. He says that he's not even worthy to, be, to untie the strap of his sandals. You know, it was, a, it was a task of the slave to untie his master's sandal. And John is, is saying here, I don't even matter in that equation. It's Jesus. He's pointing them to the Messiah, not himself. And reminder again for us here, here this morning that are believers, that are disciples of Jesus Christ, we like John need to recognize that also. We are unfit to untie the shoes of our Lord because we have sinned against God. We have, we have despised his rule in our lives. We have thought sinful thoughts. We have done simple things all the while trying to save ourselves. But, but Christ, in spite of us, came to redeem us from our sins. May we never cease. May we never grow old and tired of praising God for such a great salvation. Folks, we are just microphones in the hands of God. We are not the message, but we're here to proclaim the message. So John continues to tell us what the message is in verse 29 through 34. And the next day, in verse 29, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, for, for many centuries, Israel would have known about the sacrificial lamb. They had learned about from the first story of, of Abraham, the father of the nation, when Abraham took his son Isaac in obedience to the Lord to go and sacrifice him. And as they're walking up in that story, the, the mountain 
Isaac catches on and says, you know, dad, we have wood, we have fire, but where is the sacrifice? And what's his response? Abraham says, well, God will provide. And even, even at that point in following in obedience, the son strapped to the wood about to be sacrificed and God stops him. And he supplies a ram in the thicket as a burnt offering. But God did that. And Israel knew that. And they had gone over that story. They remembered that. They knew about the lamb as a result for the institution of Passover. You know, also Passover talked about the blood of the lamb that would be placed in the doorposts of the house and it was a sign of the angel of death as they pass over the home knowing who was part of the covenant. And they knew of the daily services of the temple where, where lambs and goats were sacrificed. And in each of those instances, they knew that the death of an innocent substitute was put in the place of the one who had sinned. The, the listeners knew this. They remembered this. And so John calls out the next day and he sees Jesus coming toward him. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Folks, in, in this brief moment, John makes it clear to the onlookers that God has come to deal with sin. And the word world is, is cosmos and translated a number of different ways in the New Testament. But here it talks about humanity in general, meaning it is for all people without any distinction going to all nations and all racial boundaries. You know, he's not talking about universal salvation. He's not saying that all will be saved. What he's saying is the offer is made to all. And I find it interesting as you read the Gospel of John and other Gospels that the Jews wanted a prophet. And what does God give them? A lamb. You know, they, they wanted a king to rule and, and be able to reign with him and, and to correct all the bad things, all the horrible things that were happening to them. And God gave them a lamb. Because you can't reign with God until you're related to God. And listen, you cannot be related to God if there is sin in the way. If you're here this morning because you, you wanted to check out this church thing, you know, maybe you drove by and saw our sign and is curious about our church. I'm glad you're here. I hope that our church family has been welcoming to you, to, to reach out to you, to be friendly. I'm glad you're here. But if, if you're here and you're looking for a relationship with God, you need to understand first that there's an issue of sin. We all have that issue. And yet God sent a sacrifice to deal with sin so that you and I can have relationship with God. He, he, doesn't take, he doesn't take away only the symptoms. God takes away the disease. And really, it's just that simple. You, ha you have to come to that point of understanding and realizing that the sacrifice of Christ for your sin is necessary before you can have a relationship with God. All sin has to be dealt with. You, you can't ignore it. And so God, knowing this, came to die on a cross as a lamb because he had to be a lamb before he could be a king. And John now knows who he is. And he wants the people to see it. In verse 30, he says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And my question in that is, Really, John, you didn't know? 
You didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah? You know, I remember I said earlier that the, the family relation, that they probably spent time together. There were probably kids together playing. And really, the light bulb didn't go on. Can you imagine playing with God as a kid? You always get in trouble and he never does. How infuriating that would have been, right? And the never, never clued in John, like, this guy's different. He, he never talks back to his parents. He always obeys. What's wrong with him? John never catches on. He, he, never, he never realizes that this Jesus, his, his cousin, whatever, second, third, fourth, fifth, I'm not sure, this is the Messiah. He, he never catches on. You know, the, the, the fact is Jesus never expressed who he was, his Messiahship, until after he was baptized. John didn't know. No one knew. They had no clue. And God didn't tell John who Jesus was. All John knew was that he was coming. He was there to get things prepared, to preach and to baptize. He knew what his job was. He just didn't know who it was that was following him. He was to preach that the kingdom of God was at hand, but he didn't know that Jesus would be the Lamb of God. All he knew to do was preach and baptize. And then John's testimony continues in verse 32, and he says, and John bore witness. He says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have, have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And God shows John who Jesus is, and then he sends him out to, to preach and to baptize. John is an interesting man, different than most. You know, he's God's anointed to preach and to prepare. Jesus, too, is different than the other man. He's, he's God's chosen to come and bear the, the weight of our sin. Folks, Jesus is the most famous person of all time. You know, the Bible is the, is the, the best-selling book of all time. So I was encouraged this week as I reminded myself how much I enjoy reading biographies, that we have a pretty good biography right here. To read it and soak it up. And, and reminding myself again that this story never gets old. And Jesus coming down from heaven's throne come into our world of shame and, and acquainted with, with grief and sorrows. He came to take the debt that we owe. And he suffered in our place so that we could be free. You know, the Lamb of God in our place, it was our death that he died. And, and from that, the power of sin undone Folks, there is no greater love. Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning and the study of your word. I thank you for John's gospel who teaches us and leads us into understanding of those that you've used for your honor and glory. We thank you for the life of John the Baptist and I thank you for his faithfulness 
to the task that you have given him, that you gave him to serve. I thank you for further insight in who, who Jesus is. The word became flesh and he lived among us. And he's the lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. Father, may we never grow old from sharing this message. I pray that we will be courageous this week as we leave. And you'll give us opportunities to share the gospel with those we come in contact with. Help us to be bold. Help us to remember our testimony of how you've saved us. And just to share that, the transformation that's happened in our lives, that we would do that faithfully. God, what a privilege it is to know you and to serve you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.